Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. You can read me at kslsports.com and all my Utah Jazz coverage there, as well as the KSL Sports app. Very excited to be joined by Andrew Greif. You can find him on Twitter at Andrew Greif. He writes about the Clippers for the LA Times. Andrew was actually at the airport. I believe you're flying to Salt Lake, right? That's where you're headed. I hope so. Yeah. Well, it should be an easy flight. I appreciate you jumping on. Game one coming up tonight. Should be a very fun series. I think this is uh, one the Jazz probably wish they had avoided. I think a lot of Jazz fans wish they had avoided this. They saw this potentially coming over that last week of the regular season when the Clippers were losing to the Thunder and losing to the Rockets and said, uh-oh, we're on the same bracket as this team that has Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But then the Clippers get a very good test in the first round and go seven games with the uh, with the Mavericks. And I'm sure after the first two games and after game five, I'm sure there was some doubt in Clipperland that they were going to emerge out of the first round. Even after game six, when they went into Dallas and they won even the series a second time, I was taking a lift back to my hotel in Dallas. And, and the driver like, was clearly a very big sports fan. And he was like, you know what? I still think the Mavericks are going to win this series. And I was like, oh, why is that? You know, He just saw Kawhi Leonard go nuclear and score 45 points. And he was like, because losing game seven after clawing back twice would be such a clipper thing to do. And it, I couldn't argue. I was like, yeah, I, you know, the, the history would suggest that they are in for a total heartbreak, but obviously making 23 pointers, the most ever in a game seven in NBA history changes the outcome a little bit. So uh, they've, I think what as tired as they are going into this series against the jazz, Ty Lu, when I asked about that, in terms of like the fatigue factor, he, he flipped it by basically being like, this is a pretty good test. Like, you know, we're basically we're entering with momentum. He said, we are battle tested. So it's not probably the series they maybe hoped for in terms of just like the legs and yet, uh, it's probably given them a pre- as be- about as much of a mental boost as you could imagine, uh, having gone through that, fighting through a-, a deficit twice in a series to win. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of a weird thing that I'm not sure how aware every fan base is of what the other's kind of history is and the culture around those teams. Now, everyone understands the, the Clippers' culture. They've never been to a Western Conference Finals. They've certainly obviously never won a championship. And there's a bit of this cursed feeling, especially because the Lakers have been so good. But Jazz fans even have this kind of little brother syndrome where they feel like, hey, nobody appreciates us. 
they're really afraid of playing the Clippers, not all jazz fans, but certainly a segment is thinking, well, they've got superstars. They've got Kawhi. They've got Paul George. They've got these teams that can go out and spend a bunch of money. And they're now somewhat of a destination uh, for free agents or for big names. And the jazz have never felt that way. So I do think the jazz fans go into this series feeling underappreciated. What is this Clippers culture? Has it changed at all with Balmer and with some of these names that they've brought in? Certainly, you know, with, with Chris Paul going back to that, the lob city Clippers, has that changed at all? Or is there still this kind of existential doom that, that it's all going to fall apart at some point? Well, I think that there is that threat of it all falling apart and all the hard work and all the steps they've made. Really, it was like a two-year process to build that, to get to that Paul George trade and that Kawhi Leonard signing. It was like a two-year process. So I'm sure there's tons of fear about what would happen if, if that were to basically uh, go away without a title in, that, in the first two years. Remember, these are the only first two years where Kawhi Leonard is guaranteed to be on the roster. He can opt out this summer and become an unrestricted free agent. So there's no doubt there's a lot of fear. And I think the history would suggest that, yeah, the, that this team somehow is doomed. Um, but the way the Clippers basically are trying to flip that is they built this roster around guys who they felt like, at least this is my first year on the beat was 2018, 2019. And that year was kind of, they would call themselves the gritty team, the, the heart and hustle. You know, they had like a comeback of 31 down against Golden State in the first round of the playoffs. They really felt like that was the type of team they wanted to be. Um, they marketed themselves that way a lot. Sometimes it was laughed at in Kawhi's first year. They were, they called themselves, you know, street lights, not spotlights, you know, basically built, not bought very much a, uh, a, a setting themselves in contrast to the Lakers in town. And that never happened last year. Obviously when they were pushed, they folded in, in against Denver up three, one this year's team, the way they came back against Dallas, that to me is, is the first time I've really seen since that 2018, 19 team, like legitimate grit and backbone and like a sense that they can be pushed around, but they they will push back. Um, and maybe they had to go through that last year. Maybe that is some of the quote unquote culture coming through, but um, they really felt like guys like Marcus Morris, um, you know, kind of like quintessential tough guy uh, that Nicholas Batum, the vet, those guys would be super valuable for them in situations like this. And in the seventh game and with the latter half of that series, that kind of showed through it to their credit. They did sort of display, I guess, the characteristics that these executives who built the team would have hoped for. And I think that's interesting because that's a very common theme, obviously, for both of these teams. They both lost to Denver after being up 3-1. They're both trying to exercise some of these demons. So I do think you find yourself in this weird spot where these two teams, like you mentioned, are... Uh, battle tested, even in not, not just this, you know, the jazz didn't get tested that much in the first round by Memphis. They lost game one, but as soon as Donovan Mitchell came back, they basically never trailed in a game. I, I know Clippers got certainly more of a test in that first round, but, but the jazz really have carved out their identity and you'll notice it as you listen to Donovan Mitchell talk, he brings it up almost every interview that they were down or they were up three, one and they didn't take care of business and it didn't allow them to get the win when they thought they should have. Uh, he talks about that a lot, and it has changed this team, and it has made them more resilient this year. Do the Clippers have that same resiliency where, you know, the Jazz, they never lost more than two games in a row this season. Every time it seemed like they were going to take a, a big blow, whether it was Donovan Mitchell getting hurt or Mike Conley getting hurt, they just never folded. They just came back and found a way to win games, and I think they did that in the first round. They do it within games. They'll have a bad quarter and then bounce back and play really well. They're more resilient and tougher than they have been in years past. Do the Clippers have that from last year where they were down or up 3-1 and lost? Does that not feel like it's possible again this season? It feels, uh, it feels like they are better set up to combat something like that because what we saw against Dallas is not sort of the first time we saw that. There have been games this year where they've been down 
four starters for injuries or rest. Or so I think one game even like it's five starters. This is before the last week of the regular season. I should I should make it clear when they truly wanted to win, and they came back and won those games regularly. Um, there's kind of a, a joke among a certain segment of Clippers Twitter users uh, where they they refer to the Clippers when they aren't without their when they aren't they don't have their stars or really many of their rotation guys, which happened a lot this year. They call them the canoes because they're not quite a full Clipper ship. They're like a very small. <laughs> A very small version of it. And those teams were ex- exceptionally dangerous this year. And I think you saw it with the depth of Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and Nicholas Batum, um, Rajon Rondo when he joined at the trade deadline. There was a lot of, I think, emphasis placed on, you know, really not just sort of, well, we'll just get to the playoffs and we'll see how we do because we think we're pretty talented. That was last year's team's mentality 100%. This year, they really took the regular season seriously. Kawhi Leonard played back-to-backs for the first time since 2017. Um, and so the way they continually won games, even though they were shorthanded, not just one player, but two or more, was sort of the first inkling that this team was going to play with pride and could actually, again, rally and, you know, wasn't going to just take the easy way out and say, ah, whatever, it's just a regular season game. I think those opportunities in January and, you know, February have sort of primed themselves for what happened in the Dallas series. And, and I don't think that happens unless they lose up 3-1 last year. You know, I think that was sort of a trauma situation that they've probably benefited from. Uh, we're just getting news right now as this is breaking. No Mike Conley tonight for the Utah Jazz. Obviously, that's going to be an enormous story. Uh, and, and that's going to be something the Jazz are going to have to navigate. I think one of the interesting things, uh, Andrew, is looking at the Clippers is the weird lineups they played kind of down the stretch did not match the same guys that the Jazz saw in the regular season. Zubots didn't play uh, a ton of minutes in this series. Patrick Beverly wasn't really playing by the end of the series. How much do you expect the lineups and the rotations that we saw against the Mavericks to be similar to what we saw uh, when they play the Jazz coming up tonight in Game One? Uh, you know, uh, because it because it had worked so well, and because they had to really it wasn't lineups that they just used and they won in five games. Like these have been again, as Ty said, sort of battle tested lineups. I really think that we could see more of the same. Tyloo was asked uh, on the day before Game One about can you still play small against this lineup? And he said, we played small against 7-4 Boban and 7-2 Porzingis. We can still play small against 7-1 Rudy Gobert. Um, so that was my first thought was, well, this will be a series where Zubats, the traditional center, who was excellent then, part of their best lineups all season long, he would be a shoe in to have more minutes, a larger role. I, I think he will have a larger role because it's hard to have much of a smaller role. Um, but I, I am very surprised that... Um, he that he might not have as big of a role as as, as I certainly envisioned. Um, I, he really likes playing against Gobert. I think that there's a feeling that he can beat him up the floor. Um, you know, coming back, at, you know, beating up for offense out of defense. I know that he enjoys this matchup, but I guess it will be the question is how much we'll see of it because maybe the Clippers just say, "Look, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris, you are are too big, so we're going to roll with it until it gets broken." So, Andrew, the big story for the Jazz in the first round, I think, was the return of Donovan Mitchell, his excellent play averaged almost 30 minutes a game, and then the three-point shooting from games two through five. That was what allowed them to win. If you had to summarize quickly what allowed da- uh, the Clippers to beat Dallas in the first round, what, what would that be? Uh, in, they were down 30-11 to 11 in game three, already down 2 nothing. That could have been the point where they broke. Nicholas Batum said yesterday that they, um, they were a couple plays away from being swept. What changed was... Ty Lue took out Zubats, put in Nicholas Batum, and they rolled that small lineup or versions of that small lineup basically the rest of the series, no matter what. When Dallas countered with that jumbo lineup, 
uh, Clippers did not basically reinsert Zubats as a starter. They just basically rolled with it. And the shooting picked up. They, they were actually a, obviously the league's best three-point shooting team this year, 41.1%. Um, they shot very poorly in the first round, I believe 37% compared to their standards. It wasn't until the seventh game that they shot well. So they had to basically patch this thing together with better defense, better rotations, uh, small ball lineups. And then Kawhi Leonard, obviously, is sort of the alpha and the omega of what happened here. 45 points in game six, the only the fourth player in postseason history to have 200 points while shooting 60% over an entire series. That's like Bernard King, Shaq, and Kareem. So <laughs> that's sort of, I would say, the very short list of what happened. But it really took a lot of pride, especially defensively, because we're not going to talk about that enough. Kawhi Leonard getting the defensive matchup to line up against Luka Doncic and accepting that also turned the series Make sure to find him on Twitter at Andrew Gry Freedom in the LA Times. Andrew, we'll catch up again before the end of the series. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you, Ben. No problem. There he was, Andrew Greif from the LA Times, giving us a great preview before Game 1 as the Utah Jazz will host the Los Angeles Clippers. Again, find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app as well and stick around for more previews of uh, additional games coming up in the Jazz and the Clippers series. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.